We're, we're, thank you so much, John. Thank you, Samuel. That was a great blessing. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, we've just enjoyed our time here very, very much and uh, appreciate it. And uh, as I said on Sabbath, and I want to just repeat it here, um, if we don't meet again, if we don't meet again on this earth, let's meet up there. Amen? And uh, I usually make an appointment with people. I say 2 o'clock at the Tree of Life. Okay. So it's going to be a big gathering because I've invited a lot of people. So, but I hope you'll be there as well. Two o'clock at the Tree of Life, shall we do that? Amen, very good. Okay, well, our final presentation, and uh, we're going to look at Revelation 12. We're going to look at God's movement in the last days, God's movement uh, just prior to the second coming of Christ. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get right into our final message of this series, Certainty in Uncertain Times. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I'm grateful, grateful for you, for what you have done uh, in my life and what for you are doing in the life of, of my brothers and sisters that are here. Uh, I'm grateful for your word, which has a power to change our lives and to transform us from within. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for Bible prophecy that gives me a hope for the future. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for the many blessings that you are pouring upon us. And I'm even grateful, Lord, for the trials that you allow us to go through because really they are blessings in disguise. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your patience with us. And thank you that, again, we can open your word this evening. And I do pray that you will speak to our hearts and minds, that you will draw us closer to yourself, and that you will draw us into your fold and into your people, um, that we may be among your people, Lord, that will be ready for you when you come again the second time. Thank you so much. Bless this study, I ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to uh, look at Revelation chapter 12 together this evening in our final presentation. And uh, Revelation chapter 12, though it is in the middle of the book of Revelation, is really the climaxing point in the book of Revelation. We looked at it in our last presentation at kind of the final events, but now we're going to look at um, this prophecy in Revelation 12, this picture in Revelation 12, that really gives us a panoramic picture of God's people throughout the ages, particularly throughout the New Testament period, from the first century church all the way down till uh, the very days uh, prior to the coming of Christ, the very last moments of earth's history. And uh, why I think this is such a powerful uh, chapter is also because it pictures the characteristics, it identifies the characteristics of God's last day movement. Because there's really a question that we ask, as we look at all these powerful, beautiful biblical truths, we ask the question, well, does God have a church? Does he have a people that, uh, that he is using today to herald these messages, to bring these truths uh, into the world? Is there a global movement that actually is taking the Bible seriously and, and, and proclaiming the very message that needs to be proclaimed at this very hour in, uh, in the earth's history? There's no doubt a lot of denominations in our world today, but there's really only one Bible, right? There's a lot of denominations, but there's one Bible. And as I said earlier, uh, Christianity has, have kind of, has had a very rough journey, you know? Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship, remember? It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and it became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. And it moved to the U.S. and became an enterprise in many ways, and so Christianity has picked up a lot of luggage on its way, and, and, and a lot of misrepresentations of the character of God are found in the big, um, 
in the big scope of Christianity today. But what we have endeavored to do throughout this series, and what I pray you will continue to endeavor to do even from this day forward, is to examine the pages of this book and say, I want to get back to what it was really all about from the beginning. I want to come back to what Jesus actually taught, what he believed, and I want to follow in his footsteps so that I can be part of the movement that he is using and the movement he has has had throughout time. Not the movement that is bought into traditions and culture and all these other things that have really been piled upon this book, but I would rather take back those layers and get back to what it's really all about. And God has had his, his people throughout time, and we're going to discover that in our study this evening as we look at Revelation chapter 12, the 12th chapter of Revelation. And take notice um, uh, of the overview of this chapter. This chapter has 17 verses. It's quite a short chapter in the book of Revelation. And you can basically divide Revelation chapter 12 into three segments. How many? Three. The first is verse 1 to 6, which talks about in symbolic language, and we're going to decode the symbolism in just a bit, The Revelation 12 deals with, in the first six verses, with the early Christian movement. In other words, the early Christianity of the first centuries. Then, verse 7 to 12 takes us behind the scenes and shows us the very beginnings of this great controversy. We already looked at a couple of those verses during our, uh, in the course of our uh, time together in this series. Satan, how he was cast out of heaven, how he made war in heaven, and how this war is continuing on this earth. So first part of the book of Revelation, chapter 12, is dealing with the early Christianity. Then it gives us a whole portion in the middle of the chapter um, looking at the great controversy behind the scenes and how this all came about. And then in the final verses, from verse 13 to 17, we look at, we, we have a picture of God's people in the end of time. In other words, uh, what what is going to characterize God's movement in the final moments of earth's history before Christ comes back the second time? So we're going to walk through this, through these verses, 17 verses together, and we're going to try to see the story. We're going to look at history and how it all plays in. And a lot of what we have covered in the course of our series, in the course of this series, Certainty and Uncertain Times, is going to come back, and you're going to see how it all plays in, in this movement of God, and how it all comes together in God's final movement, his final people. Um, And so let's, let's get started. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Look at the language here. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1, now a great sign appeared in heaven. Remember, this is John, the revelator on the island of Patmos, and he has a vision, and he's recording the vision, and he says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Quite a fascinating picture. John sees in vision a woman clothed with the sun, in other words, brightness, the moon, she was standing on the moon, and on her head she had a garland or a crown of 12 stars. Quite a fascinating picture. Now, what does this represent? Interestingly enough, from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, all the way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, there is this symbolism used that the church of God or the people of God are symbolized by a woman. For example, in the Old Testament, there are uh, numerous verses where Bible prophets will say, uh, will refer to the uh, people of God, the nation of Israel, as the daughter of Zion, you know, this, 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 this bride. And it's really a beautiful picture because the church or the people of God are the bride, and who do you think the bridegroom is? Jesus himself. 
And in the New Testament, you also find this language. For example, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthian church, he says to the Corinthian church, he says, you are like a chaste virgin to Christ. And, so, and also in Ephesians chapter 5, for example, Paul uses this language of the church is like the bride of Christ. There's numerous passages in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where you see the prophets and the apostles using this language of the church or God's people being like a woman and Christ is the bridegroom. Christ, we are to be united to Christ. So the intimate link between us as a people and Christ is, is illustrated, symbolically shown in the relationship between a bride and the bridegroom, the marriage relationship. So in Revelation chapter 12, what we are looking at here is a picture of God's bride or God's people. By the way, and this we don't have really time to go in tonight, but let me just drop this here and you can further study this. There are in the book of Revelation two women. One in Revelation chapter 12, which is the true bride of Christ, which we're going to study this evening. But then Revelation chapter 17 pictures another woman, but she is clothed in scarlet, and, and the Bible tells that you know, she is drunken with the blood of the saints. And this is a woman, this is also a church, but it's a false church that is apostatized from truth and is actually persecuting the people of God. And we already identified the system of Antichrist in Scripture, and is also portrayed there in Revelation chapter 17 by the woman in scarlet. But that's the counterfeit bride, but here we have the true bride, the woman that is clothed with the sun, the sun of righteousness, the light of Scripture. She's standing on the moon. The, the, uh, there are 12 stars upon her head, which is interesting. The symbolism of 12 is a number that appears um, quite frequently in the Scriptures. For example, in the Old Testament, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob, out of which came the 12 tribes. In the New Testament, we have the 12 disciples, we know Judas fell away, but then a twelfth disciple was chosen there in, in the book of Acts. In the beginning of the, of the book of Acts, we read about them choosing a new disciple, and so they had again twelve apostles. So it's interesting, twelve tribes, twelve apostles, and here we have the woman with twelve stars upon her head. Really a, a picture here of God's movement. Now listen to what it says about this um, woman. Revelation chapter 12, verse 2. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So John sees the picture of the woman, and then she's about to give birth. Now it's interesting because as we look at the picture of Scripture, the panoramic picture of Scripture, remember that from the very, very, very beginning, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and they had to leave the garden of paradise, immediately a promise was given to them. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is the first messianic promise and the first prophecy that we find in Scripture. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord spoke and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he's speaking here to the serpent, to the devil, Satan. He says, I will put enmity, there will be war between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what's going on here? Here we have a prophecy of the great controversy. You know, the great battle between good and evil is really kind of summed up in a nutshell here. There was going to be a war between the serpent and the woman, the woman being the church. And out of God's movement, out of the church, would come the promised seed, which is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he would bruise the head of the serpent. 
and the serpent would bruise the heel. Now, isn't that interesting? Because when you think about it, um, if you go to the doctor with a crushed head or you go to the doctor with a bruised heel, which is better? <laughs> I mean, which is worse? Let me ask it that way. A crushed head, right? In other words, the outcome of the battle is already made known in this prophetic statement. The head of the serpent will be crushed. In other words, the devil will be defeated. Now, in the defeating of the, the enemy, uh, Christ himself would be, would be bruised, right? I mean, he came and he died for us. There was a sacrifice, a price to be paid uh, for that to happen. But here we see the, the very beginnings of this controversy or the very beginnings of this prophecy of this controversy. And this comes back in the language in the book of Revelation when it says the woman, the church, the movement was about to give birth. And of course, this is giving birth to the very Messiah, the promised one. Now, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. In other words, the Old Testament is full of prophecy, full of promises of the coming Messiah. From Abraham and Moses and all the, all the prophets, they prophesied, 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 and then he came, Christ came. He came out of those 12 tribes. He came and he defeated the enemy. And so this is what we see here in Revelation in symbolic language. Now take notice what happens next. So first John sees the woman. He sees the woman that is pregnant with the child. And then he sees this, Revelation 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. So the next thing that, that is seen is this dragon-like creature that is trying to attack this woman. Now, listen to what it says in verse 9, because in the very same chapter of Revelation chapter 12, uh, the dragon is identified. So we don't have to wonder about who the dragon represents, because listen to what it says in verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So the dragon is clearly Satan, the enemy. And listen to what it says here in Revelation 12, verse 4. His tail, the tail of the serpent, the tail of the dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the dragon is pictured here, and his tail is taking a third part of the stars of heaven and throwing them to the ground. In the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, you will also find that a star represents an angel. You can find that in chapter 1 and 2 of Revelation. Interestingly enough, here, this being, the dragon, is taking a third part of the stars of heaven. A third part of the angels are siding with him in this great battle. And here the dragon is now ready to attack the woman and to devour the child that is about to be born. Now, don't you think, think about this for a moment, the great controversy which began in heaven when the dragon, Lucifer, uh, when he rebelled against God, he was cast out. And then he deceived mankind and he heard the promise that out of the woman would come the seed, the promised seed. Eventually out of God's movement would come the Messiah. Don't you think that he was intent on destroying the Messiah when he would be born? Oh, absolutely. He knew the prophecies probably better than even God's people knew them. He studied the prophecies. He knew exactly, oh, then is when he's going to come. This is what it's going to be like. And, and he would make sure that he would destroy the child as soon as it was born. And, and can you think of instances that that, that, that almost happened? 
Oh, absolutely. Remember, for example, that um, King Herod, what did he do? He sent his soldiers into Bethlehem, and they slew all children, right, under the age of two. This was an attempt, the devil using Herod here to try to destroy the child. But God took, um, God revealed to uh, Joseph in a dream that they were to take the child into Egypt, and that's what happened. So the child was protected. But on many instances in the life of Jesus, um, the devil was trying to destroy him, to take his life before the time had come for him to die as the savior of the world. And this is clearly portrayed here in this symbolic language of Revelation chapter 12. Now, it says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Interesting, talking about how he was born, how he would eventually be the ruler of all nations, and how the child was caught up into heaven. And of course, after Jesus died, after he resurrected uh, and spent those 40 days with his disciples, he was caught up on high. He was caught up into the clouds of heaven. Now, this is interesting. We are here in Revelation chapter 12, in the first couple of verses, we're seeing the woman, the movement of God. We've seen the birth of Jesus, what happened to Jesus, how he was caught up. We've seen the dragon that tried to destroy the child. And what we now see is that the fierce anger of the dragon is turned towards the followers of Jesus. Because now Jesus is caught up into heaven. Jesus is back upon his throne. He has, um, he has defeated the enemy on the cross. Victory has been gained. The devil knows that, by the way. He knows that he's a defeated foe right now. But now he's going to go forth to destroy those that follow Jesus, those that are part of this movement, of this, this bride of Christ. You know, if you can't get the bridegroom, you get the bride. Right? And, and so this is exactly what is taking place. Look at verse 6, Revelation 12, verse 6. Then the woman did what? fled into where? What does it say? The wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. How long? 1,260 days. Now, is that, is that a time period that we've heard before? Yes, we have. Isn't it interesting? The woman flees into the wilderness. In other words, God has a place for his movement. And, and, and the devil is angry and is going forth to destroy the movement of God, the followers of Jesus, and it gives us a time period that, 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 that she is fleeing away, and the time period that is given is 1,260 days. Now, you will remember the time prophecy that we have covered in the course of our time together. In Revelation, and also in the book of Daniel, we will read about the antichrist power of Bible prophecy. And this Antichrist power, according to Scripture, ruled for 1,260 years. Now, remember the principle of Bible prophecy? A day, a prophetic day, equals a literal year. Remember? And so what we're seeing here is that the 1,260 days that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 are really 1,260 years when we interpret it according to Bible prophecy. And so this is exactly the period that the Church of Rome, the Antichrist of Scripture, persecuted the followers of Christ, the true followers, the true church, we could say. And so if during these 1260 years, which, which, which uh, basically spanned the time from 538 AD to 1798, if you would be searching for the truth, if you would be searching for the right church during this period, if you would walk into a town and say, okay, now what is the right denomination? What is the right church? 
on every street corner, you would find the Roman Catholic Church because that was the church during that period in the continent, in the old world, in the, in the continent of Europe because this was the only church in town. There was no other church in town. As a matter of fact, if you were looking for a church, they had the cathedrals, they had the structures, they had the organization, they had the power. All the state had bowed down, and the kings of Europe had given their power to the papacy, and there was no one to rival them. And so if you're looking for the church, there's only one choice. But if you would look a little bit closer, and you would look a little bit into the regions beyond the cities, and you would look a little bit more into the wilderness areas, interesting language there in the book of Revelation, the true woman, the true bride, fled into the wilderness for 1260 years, and that's exactly where you will find the church of God. Now, remember, Revelation 13 portrayed this structure of Rome, but during this period, there were also believers in wilderness areas. Now, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of preaching a series uh, of meetings in Italy, and um, I spent a few more days in Italy, and I traveled up to a place called the Waldensi Valleys. Anyone heard of the Waldensi Valleys? Fascinating place. This was a place where, during these 1260 years, there were a people called the Waldensi people, and they lived there in very simple homes, and what they did is they preserved the scriptures because remember that at that time, the scriptures were only made available to the clergy, to the church people. So the common people were not allowed to possess the Bibles, the Bible, the scripture. And so what the Waldenses did is they said, no, 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 the scriptures is, is for us all. And so they would actually bring the scriptures to people. They were influential, uh, or uh, uh, instrumental rather, in writing and translating the scriptures and bringing them to the, all throughout Europe fascinating story. You can, you can read about the Waldensi people. There were others like the Huguenots and the Albigenses. And, and these were nations that said, you know what? No, no. Rome doesn't have it all together. As a matter of fact, they have covered the, the scriptures with traditions of man. And so they believed that every person had to have access to the scriptures themselves. What the Waldenses did, for example, this is quite fascinating, they would travel through Europe as tradesmen. And what they would do is, if they would be caught with the scriptures, their life was in danger. And so they would take the scriptures and they would actually sew it into their clothes. And they would go as tradesmen throughout Europe. And, and you know, they would just have things with them that way they sold. And, and, if they, and they would, you know, strike up conversations with people. And if they noticed that that person could have an interest. And this was a dangerous thing because if that person was, um, turned them into Rome their life would be cut short. But if they, in, if they could notice that this person might have an interest, they would pull out the scriptures and give them to them. And this is the way that the truth was spreading throughout Europe by a people that were living in the wilderness, in the wilderness remote areas of the earth. There were other people in other parts of Europe that kept the truth in remote areas. But my friends, the only church in town was the Roman Catholic Church. There was no choice. And yet God had his people, and they fled into the wilderness. And by the way, there were armies of Rome that were sent into the Waldensi Valleys, and they slew them by the thousands. They tried to eliminate these people. They tried to destroy these people. Many of them were killed. Uh, many of them were, 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 were uh, both tortured and killed, both you know, men and women and children. Uh, and yet, despite of these persecutions, very fierce persecutions, they kept the faith going, and they were instrumental in passing on the scriptures uh, even for us today. And so it's interesting to, to see what scripture tells us in Revelation 12. There would be a period of 1260 years, and God's church, the movement of God, the woman of God, would be brought into the wilderness during this period. 
Now, we've looked there at Revelation 12, verse 1 to 6, talking about the early Christian movement. We have the birth of Jesus, the great controversy pictured there with the dragon and the woman. Then we have Jesus caught up to the throne of, of, of God. And then we have the picture of the church of God during those early centuries and how they were protected by God himself as they were brought into a place of refuge. Now, Revelation 12, verse 7 to 12, as I said, brings us a little bit behind the scenes and gives us a picture of the great controversy from its very beginning. And uh, let's look at these verses, Revelation 12, verse 7 to 12. It says, and war broke out in heaven. It's almost like the Bible is first giving us a scene of what happened on earth and how this controversy was raging in Christianity. And then it suddenly is giving us a scene of, okay, you want to know how that actually took place, how that happened? You want to know a little bit of what preceded that and how the, what this brought this about? Okay, let's go back into heaven. One time, before there was a war on earth, there was a war in heaven. And it says, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. This is this, this beginning, this first battle when, when Lucifer revolted against God. Uh, this was before Adam and Eve sinned. This was before um, um, all uh, the things that we read about in Scripture and how this great controversy was played out on this earth. It started in heaven. Uh, Michael uh, and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Uh, and by the way, Michael is another word for Jesus because it actually means, Michael means the one who is like God. And so there's only really one that is like God. And Jesus has a lot of different names in Scripture, as you might know. He's Emmanuel. You know, he's, he's Michael. He's, he's the shepherd. He's, he's the savior. He's the lamb. He's the you know, many different names that Christ has. And this name, Michael, is given to him as he's in combat here with the dragon and his angels. Take notice what it says, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 12. But they did not prevail, that is, the devil did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So ultimately, the winner of this battle is Jesus, right there from the beginning, and Satan is cast out. And then it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And so we have this picture right in the middle of Revelation chapter 12, this picture of the beginnings of the first battle that was fought there in heaven, how the devil lost that battle. He was cast out to this earth. And then it says that those that are going to overcome him, they're going to overcome him, if I back up here a moment, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. My friends, that's how they overcame him in the early centuries, and that's how we're going to overcome him in the final scenes of earth's history. It is by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? It's the blood of Jesus that gives us power. It is the blood of Jesus that gives us strength to endure. And it's the blood of Jesus that gives us confidence that we are on the winning side. 
and the word of their testimony. I mean, your life is a testimony. My life is a testimony. Just like the early Christians and the Waldenses and these people that were faithful in, in, in ancient times and in history, so you and I also have a testimony to add to this great controversy. And I pray that it will be a testimony of faithfulness. Amen? Now, let's take, look, take a look then at the last part of Revelation chapter 12, because here it really gets interesting, and here we really want to focus on, on, because here is where we come into the play. I mean, isn't this fascinating? It's like the Bible is this one big movie, and you have a part to play in it, right? This is a huge story with all its characters, and, and you have Satan, and you have Christ, the main characters in this great uh, story, in this great battle, and, and then how all people are involved throughout the ages, and we read about early Christianity, and we read about the trials and temptations and difficulties they went through, but how they endured and how God used them. We read about those that, that even were willing to give up their lives for Christ, and then we read about this great battle, how it began, and here we come to the end of Revelation chapter 12, and oh, wow, we get a part to play in all of this. Take notice what it says. It picks it up again where, where it left it off before this scene was given of what happened in heaven. And it says in verse 13, Now, the, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast uh, to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So this is a little bit repeating here of, of what we've seen before. Uh, and then it says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Remember the principle of Bible prophecy? Rep repetition and enlargement. So Revelation 12 gives us a picture, then a behind-the-scenes picture, and then it picks it up again. It gives us a little bit of the picture that we already had right there, and then it carries us on beyond this period. So here again, the period is mentioned of the 1260 years, but look at what it says after that. Revelation chapter 12, verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Here's symbolic language. That he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Remember, there, there is an attack on God's people. God's people are in the wilderness, 1260 years. But now the devil is trying to destroy this woman even when she's fled into the wilderness. And he causes a flood to come after the woman that he may cause her to be carried away by the flood. But look at what the Bible says, verse 16, again, any time that God's people are in trouble, God intervenes. Can you say amen? You know, the church of God is the apple of his eye, and, and, and Christ as the bridegroom is not going to allow the devil to destroy his bride. Take notice what it says in verse 16, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, isn't it interesting? When you look at history, and you look at prophecy, and you look at history, 1260 years there was this persecution going on in the old continent, in the continent of Europe, where the kings of the earth had united with the church of Rome, and they were persecuting and killing and slaying millions of people, and yet there were those that were ever faithful in spreading the word of God, and the Reformation began, and there was a counter-movement against the, 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 the apostasies of the Church of Rome, and, and the scriptures were being translated and spread to the people, and all of this was going on. But also, the persecutions were very fierce, and God opened up a new place for his people. And this is very interesting, because it says that the earth helped the woman. The earth helped the woman. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, the next chapter, it actually, there's a prophecy there, and we have dealt with this in a former uh, um, presentation here in our series. There was a prophecy about this beast in Revelation 13, the second beast, you might remember, that comes up out of the earth, it says, and it was a lamb-like beast. 
But then it says it spoke as a dragon. Now, and we, and we identified the lamb-like beast, and it's really not that hard to identify because it came up when the first beast went into captivity. Revelation 13 has two beasts. The first beast is the, the Antichrist, Roman Catholic power, reigned for 1260 years. But then when that power went into captivity in 1798, then we have the second beast in Revelation 13 coming up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke as a dragon. And we look at what power, what nation started, you know, came into significance in 1798 and, and was a Christ-like nation. And remember, this beast has no, horn, no, no uh, crowns upon its head, so it has no king. Well, this was an identification mark of none other than the United States of America. Remember, we looked at that, we studied that. Fascinating that the United States of America, even though it would speak as a dragon at one point, later in time, at this time, in its very origin, it really had Christ-like principles. It, was, it had the horns like the horns of a lamb because, remember, it was really a place of refuge for many people that were fleeing from the persecutions in the old continent. And so right there, um, the movement of God is given a new place to come to and to establish itself. Now, Revelation chapter 12 shows kind of this overall, overarching bird's perspective, so to speak, of the movement of God. And so we have the first century, and then leading into the time of persecution, and then leading into the time where, where God is now opening new places for this movement to go, and this movement eventually is spreading into all the earth. And then as we come to the very end of the chapter, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, Verse 17 kind of climaxes everything, and it gives us a clear identification mark of what God's movement is going to be like in the final moments of earth's history. And listen to what it says, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, which really means the remnant, those that are left. Right? After all of this, centuries, those that are left, he's going to make war with those that are left, with the remnant, with the rest of her offspring. And then it identifies the remnant. It says, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So my friends, if you want to know what movement God is using prior to his second coming, this is an identification mark that you must be looking for. Do they keep the commandments of God? You know, uh, many people base their choice on what church to attend by where there's a good potluck or the church that is closest to their home or the one that has the best band to play music or the one where their parents went or their grandparents went or the one where they have a good babysitting program or the one where they have a big parking lot so you don't have to park somewhere else or the one that has the beautiful, most beautiful building or the one that has the color that they like and the seats that are comfortable. But my friends, these are no biblical reasons to choose the church that you want to belong to. What do you say? I mean, if you're going to choose what kind of church you want to belong to, what kind of movement you want to belong to, you shouldn't be looking at any of those things that I just mentioned. Now, that's a bonus if that happens to be true. But really what you should be looking for, according to Scripture, is the church I belong to, is the movement I belong to, is it keeping the commandments of God? I mean, and, and not, I'm not just talking about eight of them. I'm talking about all ten of them. Amen? I mean, I want to know, is the movement that I belong to, is it really, uh, does it want to, I'm not saying that the, per, that the 
people in that movement are perfect, but I'm saying there is an intention to keep the commandments of God. They are striving and wanting to embrace not just nine of the commandments, but all ten of them, including the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Amen? Because this is the movement of God, the movement of God that has the commandments of God in these last days of earth's history. Again, the question is, which, which denomination? What denomination? What, what church should I belong to? Which church should I go to? And again, don't, don't make the decision based on which one has the best food or, or which is closest by or all these things, but look at what church is preaching the Ten Commandments. Which, which church is uplifting Jesus? Amen? Not, not legalism in the Ten Commandments, but a beautiful picture of what the Ten Commandments are really ten promises. Amen? And these are blessings that we can receive when we bring them into our life. And, and seeing Jesus in all of that, you know what the Bible says about the church of God? I love this verse. I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but I want to just skip forward to this verse. First, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It's a powerful verse. Listen to what it says. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And then it describes the church of the living God. Listen to what it says the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, that's what the church of God should be, amen? The pillar and ground, foundation of truth. Now, where do you get your truth from? (laughs) Simple answer, the Word of God, the Bible, right? I mean, if there's anything that is going to be our foundation, it must be something that will last and something that we can trust in, something that we can know is true, and that is none other than the Scriptures of God. And so when we look at this verse here in Revelation, it says it, it, it identifies God's people as those that have the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And my friends, when we look at this time in which we are living, we're seeing that there, if there's one commandment that has been misregarded and, and really have, has been trodden on by Christianity at large, it's really the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath. And remember how we looked at the Sabbath is really the seal of God? Remember? The, the, the Ten Commandments are not something that you can just change, Amen. I mean, God cannot be changed, and God's commandments cannot be changed, and the seal of God is right there in his commandments, and yet there's a counterfeit system that is trying to change the commandments of God, to very change the very day that God had set aside. But we want to be part of the, part of the church, that, which, which is the, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, when you think about it, uh, some, of the, some of the things that we've been looking at in the course of our time together in this seminar, you know, when you think, for example, about um, the truth about what happens when a person dies, you know, Scripture teaches that, that the soul is mortal, but that we receive immortality when Christ comes the second time. That is a beautiful truth. Remember, if the church is going to be the pillar of truth, it's going to have to stand on a firm foundation of what, is, what the Bible teaches about the state of the dead about what happens when a person dies, right? Otherwise, it's basically opening the gates to spiritism. He's saying, well, the soul goes straight to heaven or it goes straight to hell and it's just there around. Basically, you're giving the devil a foothold in the door, right? To reveal himself and to impersonate, you know, that loved one and to give messages that are really not messages from God at all, but they're from the enemy himself. That's why these truths are important because they are a pillar that give us safety, and that reveal something about the character of God. Think about the truth about hell, as we've been discussing during the seminar. I mean, just think about it. What kind of picture of God is the church to give? It is to give the most awesome, beautiful, profound, and beautiful character of God is to be pictured, right? Is to be portrayed. 
Now, uh, does the truth about, does the uh, common uh, uh, interpretation of hell give that picture? Not quite. Not quite at all. I mean, think about it. The devil is in charge of a place called hell where people are tormented throughout eternity. I mean, if that's the message we're going to bring to the world, I mean, uh, is that good news? I wonder where the good news is. It's not really the good news, right? I mean, and it's not based on Scripture. And so if this is, being, if, if this is the message that a church is going to bring, that, 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 the, that people are burning in hell forever and ever, it's not giving the picture of a loving God. And so the pillar of truth, the church of God, the people of God, are to give a picture that is compelling, a picture that is beautiful, a picture that says, wow, now I understand. Now I understand how God is going to deal with sin in the end. And now I understand that at one point of time, there will no, be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, and there will be no more death. Amen? So these are, these are truths that, that are not just theoretical truths that are kind of like, oh, interesting, I'll put them on my shelf and I'll look at them later. But these are truths that are really transforming. Think about the truth about the Holy Spirit as we've dealt with. You know, is it important how we conduct ourselves in the house of God? Absolutely. You know, and, and God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of, of, of confusion, which we find, sadly, in many churches today. But we want to know the truth about the Holy Spirit, and where do we find that? In the Word of God. And so what should we be looking for? A, a, a people, a movement that has understood the significance of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in our lives today to transform us, to change us, and that the fruit of the Spirit may be seen. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gibberish language. That's not a test. My friends, the test is right as we allow God to, to, to change our very lives. This is the truth about the Holy Spirit, which will be also a truth that God's movement will embrace. The truth about the great controversy. I mean, we're living in a great controversy. If we fail to see that, then we're missing out. I mean, we need to know and understand the powers that are at work. And Scripture reveals that, and the church of God is to reveal that. The truth about the second coming of Christ. I mean, if you belong to a denomination that never talks about the second coming of Christ, you should start wondering why. I mean, if it's all throughout the Scripture, there's been estimations made that one in every 25th verse of the New Testament talks about the second coming of Christ. Think about that. One in every 25th verse. I mean, this, this book is full of predictions of the second coming of Jesus. And, and if the denom denomination that we belong to never talks about that, then we should wonder why. I mean, we should belong to a church, a movement that is riveted, excited, and communicating to those around them that Jesus is coming. Amen? That he has come the first time and that he's coming again. So we want to be part of a movement that is driven by the anticipation of the advent of Jesus that he comes again. Amen? He came the first time, and he's going to come the second time. And my friends, we need to be part of a movement that is global. A global movement. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation uh, that there's going to go, a message is going to go forth. In Revelation chapter 14, it describes a message is going to go forth to all nations, to all kindred, and to all tongues, to all people. And it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message to restore uh, the truths of Scripture. And it's also a message that people are to worship the Creator. Amen? To worship the one that made them. And, and this is beautiful because uh, when you think about a global movement, you really have this idea that we're not alone in all of this. Sometimes we can get the idea like, am I the only one following this? Is there someone else out there? You can be assured, my friend, that there are people all over the world today 
in all different countries of the world that are preaching the very thing that I'm preaching to you right now in this series, that are believing firmly that we are living in the end of time, that believe firmly that the commandments of God are to be restored in Christianity, that believe firmly that the Sabbath needs to be remembered and not forgotten, that believe firmly in the truth about what happens when a person dies and the truth about hell and the truth about the Holy Spirit and the truth about the sanctuary and the truth about the second coming and the truth about many things that we've, that we've not all been able to cover in this series. But, but biblical truth, my friends, just the Bible as a whole, not the traditions of man, not the culture of man, not, not, the, not the speculations of man, but the clear, prophetic, beautiful word of God. They believe it. They're preaching it. And, you know, I personally did not grow up as a Christian. As a matter of fact, I became a Christian later. Um, in my early 20s, I decided to be baptized. And personally, I made the decision to be baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church, the movement. Because I saw for myself, as I studied the scriptures, and I looked at the various denominations out there, I saw that there was one denomination that was faithful to the Ten Commandments of God. That, that they believed in the seventh day, that the seventh-day Sabbath is not something done away with, it's not something of the past, and it's not something peripheral on the side of Christianity. It's something important. It's one of the commandments of God. And so I decided to become part of the Seventh-day Adventist church because Seventh-day Adventists believe that Christ is going to come again, the advent of Christ, and they believe in the commandments of God in the end time, including the seventh-day Sabbath, the very commandment that at large has been forgotten in Christianity. And you know what? I, I believe that, that, that um, as I was searching, as I was looking for the truth of God's word, that, that I found a people, not just in the country where I was at that time, but, a, but I found a movement that is globally working towards the purpose of spreading the last day message in all the world before Jesus comes. Now, does that mean that, 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 that that's the only church that... That, that God is using right now? No, I don't believe that. I believe that God is using many individuals in all kinds of denominations. So, so I believe that God has his children in, in all kinds of different denominations. But I do believe that as the final call, call goes forth, and the shepherd, which is Jesus Christ himself, when he calls his sheep together, that they will be united on a platform of truth. Amen? And the platform of truth will include the Sabbath commandment. The platform of truth will include the truth about hell and the truth about the state of the dead and the truth about the Holy Spirit and the truth about the second coming and the truth about the great controversy and the truth about the sanctuary and the truths that are given to us in the word of God. And so I, I, I want to just personally tell you my story tonight that, that that's how it went for me. And, and I'm not trying to recruit you to become a member of the church that I'm a member of. As a matter of fact, you know, I find it more important that you study the word of God and come to that conclusion yourself. Not because I've done it, but because you see that from Scripture, hey, wait a minute, yeah, I, I see that denomination, I see that denomination, that denomination has good food, and that denomination has, is close by, and that one has a beautiful church, but, but wait a minute, according to Scripture, I choose, that's the kind of decision I want you to make, based on Scripture, amen? Based on Scripture that you say, okay, now I'm looking for a church that keeps the commandments of God, and that has a focus on this last day message that is going to go into all the world before Jesus comes again the second time. And you know, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, and I like to call it a movement because, uh, you know, what, what has many times happened within uh, Christianity at large, the church has become institutionalized. And when a church institutionalizes, it gets more occupied with things going on inside its institution than focusing on getting the message out. 
And that's why uh, what you see from, from in the um, Advent movement, it is really a movement that is continuing to move because it's reaching people in all parts of this earth. It started in the 1800s. Um, it started basically based on Bible prophecy as they started to preach Daniel and Revelation, prophecies that were not really, um, uh, had not really been preached previous to this time, and a lot of people became uh, very interested in these prophecies, and this really started the beginnings of this movement. Um, it's interesting because when you look at the Dark Ages, I have a little chart here, the Dark Ages was a time of spiritual darkness. There was the Word of God had been neglected, the Word of God had been covered by traditions, but slowly and gradually, when we come out of this dark tunnel, we come into light but it's not like all light was given at once. It's like Jesus said at one occasion to his disciples, I have much to tell you, but I can't tell you everything, right? I have much to say. But he gave portions of light, just like God gave portions of light to this growing movement. And so, you, for example, you had the Waldenses that, that, that um, made um, it possible for the Bible to be given to the people. Uh, then you had John Huss which was teaching the importance of obedience. And then you had Martin Luther teaching the importance of grace. John Calvin talking about growth and about God's sovereignty. Then you had the Anabaptists, which emphasized the importance of baptism, not by sprinkling, but by actually going under the water, representing the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then you had John Wesley talking about the importance of holiness. You had John uh, William Miller talking about the importance of the second coming. And then you have the Advent movement coming on the scene, which talked about the Sabbath and the truth about death and also the truth about healthful living and these kinds of things. And really what you see is it is a progression of light. And my friends, when we are here in 2014, we are still on a journey, amen? We're on a journey to discover together the beautiful truth of Scripture. And I pray that, that, that even though this is the last evening of our series, that this will not be the end of your journey. I pray that you will continue that journey as you search for what the, what the Bible has to say about all the matters of life. Because really, my friends, it has an answer to, to all the questions that we have, to all the fundamental questions of life. The answers are right there in that book. And God has a place for you here on earth. He has a movement for you to be part of. And he wants you to be part of heralding that message before he comes again the second time. And so at this point, I would just like to ask our ushers to share out a card. This will be our last card, our last evening. And this is simply a little evaluation, actually, because we want to know, um, as we move on from this day, um, certainly, as I said earlier, um, I want, I, we want to be able to um, give the opportunity to each one of you um, to continue to study God's Word. Because even though this series has ended, we do not want this to be the end of your quest in Bible prophecy. Amen? And so this is just a little opportunity for you to fill this out uh, as you continue this journey together. Uh, because, you know, uh, tomorrow my wife and I will be traveling back to Europe, back to Europe, back to uh, Norway. And, um, but, but praise the Lord that there are people right here in Montgomery, like Pastor Samuel and John and others that are part of, 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 um, of this team that would like to help in um, sharing with you some of these amazing truths that we've not even been able to cover um, in our series here. And so we want to give that opportunity. So on this card, you just see three points. Um, number one uh, is I would like to be part of an ongoing small group study. If it's your desire, uh, did you get a card up here? Everyone got a card? Yeah? Um, 
if you, it is your desire to be part of a Bible study group, you can check that off. Because, you know, um, sometimes you can, it, it's really great to be able to come together like this and study the Bible. But maybe even you have some questions. And, you know, in a, in a smaller setting of a Bible study group, it's also easier for you to be able to, you know, ask questions or to just talk together about these amazing truths of Scripture. So if it's your desire to be part of an ongoing small group study, you can check that off. Maybe you're interested rather in a personal Bible study. Um, I'm sure that we can cater for that as well, or the people that will be here can do that. So if you, if you would be interested in that, just, just write it there, personal Bible study. And that is surely something that can also be organized. Um, then number two, I would like to attend the seven-week simple health cooking class starting March the 2nd. Um, my wife and I will not be here for that. We're leaving tomorrow, but I know that Samuel and John uh, and Amber and others are organizing a uh, simple uh, health cooking class that is starting on the 2nd of March. And, you know, part of God's movement is really learning how that we can restore and gain good health because God is not only interested in our spiritual health, but he's also interested in our physical health. So if you have an interest in something like that, you can check off uh, point number two. If you would like to attend the seven-week simple health cooking class starting March the 2nd, and, and then you will receive more information on that. And I've already been able to hear a little bit of the ideas from John and Samuel and Amber, and it sounds very exciting, so I encourage you to, to be part of that. And then third, lastly there, I would like more information about becoming a part of God's last day remnant church. Uh, as you know, the, those that have been putting on these meetings, these meetings are organized by the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, here in Montgomery, right across the parking lot here. And, um, you know, as you've been learning about Bible truths and you've been learning about the Sabbath and the importance of God's commandments and the importance of uplifting Jesus and the character of God, and you would, be, you would, be, you would like to have more information about how you can be part of God's movement and bar, God's church in these last days, uh, you can check that off. That doesn't mean that you're signing up today. It doesn't mean that you're saying, I want to be part of it, but you want to know more about it. And so we want to give you that opportunity as well. So just please check off those and uh, leave them with John as you walk out tonight. And again, I want to just say thank you so much for coming. It's been a great blessing for my wife and I to spend these last couple of weeks here in Montgomery. Uh, we have both been uh, blessed by the fellowship with each of one of you, and we do pray that the Lord will continue to guide you in your journey with him. Uh, I do solicit your prayers. We're very thankful for your prayers. Uh, tomorrow we're heading back to Norway. We'll be a couple of days at home, and then we'll be flying down to Hungary, to East Europe, uh, where I'll be speaking at a conference there. And then we're heading after that to Switzerland, and after that to Austria, and then a couple of days back in Norway, and then we'll be down in Germany to teach at a Bible school there. And then, uh, yeah, it just continues like that. So that's our life. Uh, lots and lots and lots of traveling, different countries, different places, and uh, we just really um, would love you, if you think about us, just send a little prayer and say, Lord, be with them, strengthen them, give them focus in their work. So thank you very much. May God bless you. And let's meet, if not here, at the Tree of Life, 2 o'clock. Amen? God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.